Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, and welcome to Israel War Briefing, a new weekly podcast from the Jewish Chronicle, offering deep insight into the crisis in the Jewish state as it continues to unfold. I'm Jake Wallace-Simons, editor of the Jewish Chronicle, and author of Israelophobia, the newest version of the oldest hatred and what to do about it. Each week I'll be asking an expert commentator for their analysis of the latest developments and reflections on what comes next. Today I'm joined by Anshel Pfeffer, the Jewish Chronicle's special correspondent in Israel, and I would say the foremost British journalist in the country. He writes for Haaretz, Economist, uh, The Times and others and written a seminal biography of Benjamin Netanyahu. He joins me on Tuesday, the 31st of October, the 24th day of the war. Anshel, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, If we can start with the latest developments uh, in Gaza overnight and yesterday, uh, the piece of news that's really made it across to Britain and around the world is the rescue of the hostage Ori Megadish. Can you tell us what we know about that and, and what you think it means for the war? I don't know anything about how Ori Megiddish was uh, rescued because uh, it was a secret mission and uh, the details of that, uh, quite rightly, aren't being uh, aren't being released. All we know is that this was uh, an operation carried out by uh, special forces of the IDF and a tactical unit of uh, of the Shin Bet. Beyond that, those are the details. And uh, perhaps at some point after this war, we'll know more. Did it come to you as a surprise that she was released? Or no, was I, don't think, I don't think that uh, this is a surprising operation. People are comparing the situation to things that happened in the past when uh, when Gilad Shalit was, uh, was captured uh, by now, I think we're talking about 17 years ago. He was one Israeli soldier being held uh, by Hamas in, in Gaza. There was a whole apparatus prepared for his concealment. And for, I think that throughout the five years that he was held there, uh, his location wasn't known to Israeli intelligence. And that that shouldn't be surprising. Hamas are, not, are no fools. They know that they have, uh, they have some serious capabilities themselves. And when it came to guarding and concealing one, POW in in Gaza, they they could do that. Uh, now we're talking about around 240. Now of those 240, not all of them, as we know, are alive. They include also bodies, but there are there is a large number now of uh, of hostages being held in Gaza. Some uh, most probably are being held by Hamas. Not only we know that through the breaches in the border fence after Hamas attacked on October 7 came. Uh, also members of uh, Islamic Jihad and other small groups, even crime gangs and various privateers, uh, some of them who seem to have also succeeded in capturing Israelis, whether live Israelis or bodies. So there is now a a relatively large number of hostages in Gaza. The situation in Gaza currently is quite chaotic because of Israel's ground attack and and 
before the, the air offensive. Uh, and I think that the capabilities of whoever's holding hostage right now to conceal them uh, and to ensure that the, that the Israeli special forces won't be able to locate and release them is, is nowhere near what it was in the Shalit case. So it's uh, obviously it's, it, it wasn't an, a simple thing to send in special forces to get Orima Gidish out, but I don't think it's a surprising development. Uh, is from, from as I understand it, Hamas's confidence has been very high since this extraordinary uh, repulsive uh, massacre on October the 7th. Do you think this will have knocked their confidence and their standing uh, in their supporters? I have no idea of their confidence. Maybe you have sources in Hamas, I don't. So I don't know what their confidence is right now. Uh, Avi Ishikarov was talking about that on a, on a recent podcast, saying that as far as he knew, their confidence or his his analysis was that their confidence would have been boosted by the operation on the 7th of October. I mean, I just wondered whether you felt that this the, the rescue of this hostage would be a real blow for Hamas or whether it was it would be shrug, shrugged off. Well, Avi Sakharov is is what was a very talented and well-connected uh, correspondent for Arab Affairs. So I'm sure he knows what he's talking about. Uh, Hamas is a, is a big organization. There are different units. Uh, we saw just, I think, part of Hamas on, on October. And we're seeing now other bits. Um, levels of confidence, you know, I, I read and stuff like that, that I really don't know about. Sure. Okay. Um, well, let's move on to looking at the Israeli political picture at the moment. I mean, as we all know, politics were very, very fraught before this war, and this has thrown um, a, a, an entirely, it's entirely upended the, the, the board, as it were, of politics. What's the picture at the moment in terms of Israeli politics domestically? How are people, what, what are the main fissures, dividing lines, issues? What's animating the Israeli public at the moment? Well, the Israeli public and... Um... Obviously, you can't generalize, but we have already seen a number of surveys and polls in the last couple of weeks are basically feeling abandoned by, by the government there. Certainly those living in the areas impacted by Hamas attacks and also the attacks are taking place up north uh, from Hezbollah. We're talking right now about roughly a couple of hundred thousand Israelis who have had to leave their homes. And you have hundreds of families of, uh, probably thousands by now, families of Israelis who have been killed, wounded, and uh, and uh, taken hostage. So there's a very, very big circle of people impacted by this. And everything I've been hearing, and I think you can see it in almost every interview on social media as well, is a very uh, wide feeling of abandonment. Uh, by the government, uh, families who waited for over a week to be even notified that their loved ones were being held in Gaza. Um, no real coordinated uh, effort for, for, for civilian relief for all those people who have, have had to leave their homes and are now living in hotels and kibbutz, uh, uh, guest houses and with, their, and with family and obviously tens of thousands of businesses impacted. I mean, this is this is war. And there is, uh, war is not just about moving uh, soldiers around and sending uh, and sending uh, fighter jets on, on missions. War is about preparing a society, uh, a civilian society for, for what it has to go through. And in Britain, every, you know, even though very few people actually have a living memory that, that you know, all the myths of, of rationing and, and, all, and, and evacuation, all the stuff that had to happen 
in the Second World War, where actually Britain wasn't even invaded on the ground, but there was uh, the, the Blitz and, and, and other aerial attacks. A society at war needs organization. And right now, most of the organization is coming either from local authorities who are really struggling to hold up, or from uh, volunteer groups in Israeli civilian society has really come together here. But the government uh, has, has so far totally failed. Uh, just yesterday, they finally got around to appointing uh, a, ta a, a task force leader for the, for the whole civilian coordination effort. This is three and a half weeks after this happened. And the man they uh, appointed is some guy that nobody in the civil service has ever heard of, some appointment for whose previous job was running uh, cultural set, local cultural centers. And this is the level of, of the response from the Netanyahu government. The, the, the man who, who in, in, Israeli, in Israeli civil service, the director general of the prime minister's office is uh, the man who's supposed to, in, in, in times of emergency, to coordinate various civil efforts of the government departments. This is a man called Yossi Shelley. He is the one who should be taking care now of all those families who are uprooted, but what we've seen is that he's, his job is to take care of one, one Israeli family, and that's the Netanyahu family. And so that's, that's what the Prime Minister's office has been focused on for the last 10 months, ever since Netanyahu returned to power. And, you know, you see that when a, a government has been dysfunctional in times of peace and is riddled with corruption, then when the war comes, they're not, uh, they're not equipped to deal with this. And this is, uh, this is a very widespread feeling among Israelis, including many, many Israelis who voted uh, less than a year ago for parties in this, uh, who, who support this government. We've seen already in the polls Likud losing 40% of its votes since the beginning of the war. And, uh, I, you know, there's, there's really very little good you can say about, about any of the civilian effort. And it's not just the organization. I think that at, at times of war, a leader needs to be able to direct the war, needs to be able to do two other very crucial things. They need to be able to organize the civilian effort. We just talked about how inept and pathetic that's been so far. And the leader also needs to be able to offer a sense of, uh, of, of empathy and solidarity, which will keep the nation together and... So far, Netanyahu has, has not just failed to do that. He's actually spent his time blaming other, uh, others uh, in his now infamous and deleted tweet from a couple of nights ago. And, you know, and, I, I and that was when he, he blamed the IDF. Sorry? In that tweet. He blamed the military intelligence and the Shin Bet, which they certainly have a, 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 a massive part of, of a, a, a responsibility for the intelligence failure, which failed to prevent uh, the, the Hamas attack. But, well, we can go into what Netanyahu's responsibility is there, but to attack them on uh, on social media at wartime, I, I really don't know what he was, I mean, I do kind of know what he was thinking, but, but it really is, uh, it's really astonishing. And what about this national unity government that uh, apparently has been installed in Israel? What difference has that made? And is that is that really what it seems to be from the outside? It's very hard to say at this point what the inclusion of uh, Benny Gantz's party has, has achieved. I mean, if it was not the main opposition party, is, is a much larger opposition party than Gantz's party. Um, so it's hard, I wouldn't even call this a national unity government. This is a slightly expanded government with one party, which was until, uh, until the war began uh, and then a few years later, because it took a few days later, because it took 
convincing Netanyahu to finally let, let them in. Uh, what they've achieved so far is it's hard to say. We know, you know they they have a member. Benny Gantz is now a member of the of the War Cabinet. Another senior member of his party, guys, and Gadi Eisenkot, who's probably uh, one of the most responsible and serious uh, chiefs of staff the IDF has had in in living memories. Now also a member, but he's, I mean he's an observer member. So of the five members of the War Cabinet, uh, two of them are now uh, Gantz and Eisenkot. Um, I, it's hard to it's hard to point at something that they've achieved. People in people in the IDF who who, who are briefing cabinet and working with cabinet have said to me that at least now there are three members of the cabinet who have relevant experience, including uh, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, who was a who was a major general. So for them, there's been some kind of reassurance. But at the same time, you hear from them a lot of despair about the way the cabinet is working. One of them. One veteran general who who's worked with, who's been briefing cabinet called called it to me a traumatic experience, and they're not getting uh, from the cabinet and from Netanyahu a very clear idea of uh, of some kind of strategic planning, and this leaves the IDF general staff in a situation where it needs to do this most of the strategic planning itself, uh, while this is something that should be coming from the government, should be coming from the political level, and a lot. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. They're simply not getting. Mm. And in terms of the um, Palestinians on the West Bank um, and the Israeli Arabs, what has the response been to October the 7th and how's that playing out as you see it? So the level of violence in the West Bank hasn't really risen from the Palestinian side. The Palestinian Authority has tried to clamp down from their perspective. What Hamas did wasn't just an attack on Israelis. For for their perspective, from the Fatah-dominated Palestinian Authority. This is a this is a challenge to their leadership of the Palestinian people. So they've been clamping down. What we're seeing in the West Bank right now is a spree of violence from the settlers. Settlers have gone around shooting Palestinians in many places. We've had in three and a half weeks over three hundred uh, deaths of Palestinians. The West Bank. Some of them uh, are uh, were Palestinian uh, uh, terrorists trying to carry out attacks, but the majority, from what we've been able to see, are ordinary Palestinian civilians shot dead by settlers. The settlers are trying to set to just to, to really to provoke another war in the West Bank. They think that that will be something that will somehow help them get rid of some of the Palestinians there. I mean, I've spoken to, to IDF officers who are, who are really shocked by what's happening, that at the time when Israel's fighting on Gaza, expecting uh, at any moment another front to open up with Hezbollah in the north, you've got a group of Jews running around with, uh, with weapons and shooting at people, trying to start a third war in the West Bank. And, and the... the, the it's really hard to describe how irresponsible and how stupid that is, but that's that's what's happening. And what's, what's the idea of response uh, into that? With, with, Arab, with Arab Israelis, I think that, I mean, there was obviously a lot of people uh, were worried of some kind of uh, uh, rerun of, of what happened in May 21 when there were riots in some of the mixed cities. And so far, there's been no sign of that whatsoever. If anything, 
Um, a lot of Arab Israelis have been in total solidarity and they're, they're part of society. As, as Benny, you know, Benny Gantz put out yesterday, uh, uh, a, a, a video to the Arab Israelis saying, you know, we're all together in this. Uh, this is something that should have come from the prime minister. It's sad that, that they had to wait three and a half weeks for this to happen. And Gantz is now a minister, but he's not the prime minister yet. And Tineo hasn't done any of that. But uh, there is a feeling of a lot of solidarity. Uh, around tw at least 20 Arab Israeli citizens were also uh, murdered by Hamas in the attack. A number were taken prisoner as well. And there's, uh, I, yes, occasionally you do see some, some uh, uh, nasty stuff on social media. Uh, and there's also a bit of a witch hunt against that at the same time, which probably isn't helping too much. It certainly isn't helping that Netanyahu's uh, national security minister, Itamar Bengvi, leader of the, of the far, far-right Jewish power party, has been a big show of handing out weapons in, in various places. And it's not that necessarily it's a bad thing that, that, that some civilian security groups should be holding weapons at a time like this, but the way he's been doing it is, has really been uh, aimed at inflaming uh, relations between uh, Jewish and Arab Israelis. Uh, so far, luckily, the Arab Israeli leadership has not uh, has not risen and taken the bait. I think there's been a lot of very responsible statements from the Arab Israeli politicians. Uh, uh, Mansour Abbas put out a very strong statement yesterday condemning everything that Hamas has been doing and calling for Israeli solidarity. It would be nice to see some of the Jewish politicians doing the same. Okay, thank you. Can you just explain a little bit to our listeners about the debate that's been going on over what might happen after the war in Gaza, assuming that Hamas uh, is is uh, is vanquished? Um, what do you think that the, the planning and the debate is around what happens next? Well, as I said before, there isn't really much strategic discussion happening at the in the cabinet, which is where it should be happening. And once again, I've heard complaints from senior IDF officers about that. Uh, there isn't really a discussion right now. Most Israelis are still focused on, on the traumatic uh, attack of October 7 and of the immediate uh, uh, steps taking place now. Israelis, uh, you know, if those who haven't been called up themselves have, have children, brothers, sisters, parents, whatever, who have been, who have been called up, almost everybody is involved in, in this war effort and have a very immediate concern for, for their loved ones who, who, are, who are at the front. So. I don't think the Israeli public right now is is discussing that, but that is the kind of thing that should be discussed at the, at the strategic, at the cabinet, at the political level, um, because it's something that that will have an, that should have a, an impact on planning the next the next few steps. Even if we're talking about something that will probably only take place in a few months once uh, the the war objectives of destroying Hamas's military capabilities have been achieved, but it's not happening. It's not happening partly because this is a very dysfunctional government which doesn't really have the capacity for long-term planning or any kind of planning. Partly it's not happening because the government's support base, the shrinking support base of this government is increasingly far right. And, and the very idea that there'll be some kind of arrangement in which one assumes that, the, because they're, they're the, only, uh, uh, the only address for this is the Palestinian Authority in Ramallah will somehow return after 16 and a half years since the, the coup uh, that took place in June uh, 2007. Uh, the, that idea is anathema for the far right, and this government uh, and this prime minister need the far right to stay in power. So even if there is talk in the government, then it's certainly very quiet. A few days ago, there was a report about some kind of discussion in government 
about the Palestinian Authority and immediately Netanyahu's office put out a, a, a denial that there's no such talk. So it really is a, very, a lot of strategic blindness. There's no, no real, certainly not at the cabinet level. And I know in the IDF that they've been forced to, uh, to, to have some of these discussions and to, and to uh, put people in positions where, where this is being planned because there's no one else planning it right now. Now, we're, we're beginning to run out of time, but I do want to get your thoughts on the big issue, really, that's that's been um, that's been so controversial in Britain and around the world, which is the issue of civilian casualties. Um, what's the debate in Israel around civilian casualties in Gaza, both in terms of the public, but also in, in cabinet and in government? Uh, what are the what, what are the uh, how much thought and consideration is being given to limiting those casualties and what sort of different points of view are there at the moment? Well, in the Israeli public, I don't think this is something that the public can currently really look at. It, you know, this Israelis are focused in their own uh, in, in, in the, the casualties they've taken and in the casualties they'll probably continue to be both on the battlefield and as the rockets continue to to land. So the, the public, the Israeli public, with, you know, with very small exceptions, obviously there are. Uh, human rights or Israeli human rights organizations who are trying to draw attention to this, but I don't think it, it's you can expect the the broader public to have the bandwidth to really deal with that right now. Uh, in the government, there isn't much of a of a discussion. The IDF has its own mechanisms uh, to try and to try and limit uh, uh, as much as possible the uh, uh, civilian casualties and. From what I'm seeing, that that those mechanisms are, are being used, but it's a very, it, it's not a normal situation for any type of warfare where you have uh, uh, basically an army because Hamas is built along the lines of a small army uh, fighting uh, from within its own civilian population. So uh, that you know, th these are the results of that type of warfare, and like I said, the army is focused on it. Uh, in the cabinet itself, it, the, the, it's mainly over all the. Uh, do, what do we do with the American demand to allow in more supplies? And I think that right now, that's sort of the process that the Americans are saying, you know, you need to let, allow in more more trucks and those trucks are going in through the Egyptian border anyway. And, and Israel kind of, okay, well, we're not really, we don't want to take responsibility for the Palestinians and we don't feel that right now that's our role. But if uh, the Biden administration who has really been admirable, there's only been really one government and one leader here in Israel in the last three and a half weeks, and that's Joe Biden and his team have been incredible. Uh, and I think that the government are kind of saying, well, if the Americans are, are doing so much for us, we can't really say no to them on that. That's the the level of the very, uh, very not serious level of discussion on, about this in the cabinet. And the, the demonstrations that we've seen in London and elsewhere, do you feel they're making any kind of impact on the way that the Israelis are thinking? Yeah, the Israelis have enough to think about, thank you. Sure. Okay, Anshel, uh, just a final thought on where you think the war might go next. What are your, your thoughts for the next few days, the next week? What do you think we can expect to see? Well, the ground offensive has, uh, I think, so far been... Uh, not exactly as 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 it certainly was expected at the beginning, and not in the same way it was back in twenty fourteen and two thousand and nine. The previous ground offensives, in the sense that these big simultaneous entrants of the 
of armoured uh, brigades and divisions in, from various uh, directions into the Gaza Strip. What we see now is a much more gradual on-the-ground build-up, uh, mainly uh, encircling Gaza City and the suburbs around it. Um, and night by night, more battalions are going in. And so far, which we're talking now, it's Tuesday, so it's three and a half days after, after the ground offences began. The policy is a sort of fog of war policy. So you know, even Israelis who usually know this kind of thing find it hard to tell you exactly how many battalions are inside exactly where they are. That's now the policy. Uh, we'll probably have a better idea in a couple of days where, where things are. I think probably in a couple of days also reporters will be allowed in. Um, but to predict how they're going to do it, I, you know, but to be honest, I can't. And I think it's a good thing. I don't think that... Uh, I, I don't think that the, the, the next moves are ones that the IDF want to be predicted. I could spread out a number of scenarios here, but I'm not in the planning rooms of where it's being done. And so far, they've been keeping it uh, a secret quite effectively. Understood. Well, uh, Anshul, thank you for making time for us in this very uh, stressful and difficult time. Our thoughts are with you and with the country. So good luck. Thanks, Anshul. Bye. You've been listening to the Israel War Briefing from the Jewish Chronicle with me, Jake Wallace-Simons. Join us next time for more insight and analysis from leading experts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.